My name is James Bean. It's time for Spiritual Awakening Radio. Today's program is part one of the Gnostic Gospels of Nag Hammadi. Today I'll introduce you to the discovery of 50 ancient texts found during the month of December 1945 near the village of Nag Hammadi in Egypt. I'll explore the meaning of Nag Hammadi, the implication of these texts, and begin to explore the spirituality of Gnostic Christianity. And on next week's program, continue that exploration of the spiritual side of these Gnostic texts, delving into the Ascension mysticism of the Gnostics. Also sometime in the near future, I hope to do a program on the forgotten Gnostic Gospels. Books that are so old they're practically new again, like the Nag Hammadi of the Age of Enlightenment known as Pista Sophia, practically forgotten, or the out-of-print Gospel of the Mandaeans. There are books that get no respect at all, no recognition, no cable TV specials aren't discussed on podcasts or radio shows have never been really the focus of anything, aren't really even known to most people who are curious about Gnosticism, such as the book of the Gnosis of the Invisible God, Gospel of the Savior, Hem of the Pearl, Acts of Thomas, so many wonderful books, the book of the Resurrection of Jesus the Christ by Bartholomew the Apostle, so many writings, There have been many discoveries in Egypt. Many of those discoveries have taken place either at, in the walls of, or within a few feet of monasteries in Egypt. Many interesting discoveries have been made, but haven't really gotten much attention, gotten much press. Many wonderful books need to be explored. As we saw recently with the program on the Odes of Solomon, The books of Nag Hammadi were buried in a clay storage jar, most likely by monks, during the 4th century. These represent books that came from a nearby monastic community library. Monks, during the second half of the 4th century, took those books out of this monastery and hid them away in a clay storage jar near some caves where they used to spend time in prayer, where they also sang psalms and spent time in meditation. Just outside the mouth of one of those caves was a big boulder, and next to that big boulder they buried this clay storage jar containing about 50 ancient texts written in the Coptic language, the language of Egyptian Christianity. Now we know from other writings in the ancient world, from citations and various lists, that there were far more Gnostic Gospels than 50. In other words, there may be many other clay jars hidden away, buried under the sands of Egypt, that we haven't found yet. These monks read hundreds of books. Nag Hammadi does not represent all of the books in their library. They didn't just read these 50 books plus the Old Testament and the New. There were hundreds and hundreds of other books. 
There could be other boxes hidden away in caves or ancient manuscripts stuffed in clay jars buried in the ground, not yet discovered. Hopefully there, there will be more writings found in the near future. Some favorite citations. One of my favorite sayings from a Nag Hammadi text known as Gospel of the Savior or Dialogue with the Savior. A kind of Q&A session between various disciples and Jesus. Judas asked, Where does the path begin? Jesus replied, It begins with love and goodness. Love and goodness are the beginning of the way. Love and goodness are the beginning of the path. Isn't that wonderful? A great foundation for one's spiritual path. It begins with love. Love and goodness. Another favorite book of mine is The Teachings of Sylvanus from the Nag Hammadi Library. Knock on yourself as upon a door and walk upon yourself as on a straight road. For if you walk on the road, it is impossible for you to go astray. And if you knock with wisdom, you knock on hidden treasures. Do not allow your mind to stare downward, but rather let it look by means of the light at things above. For the light will always come from above. Even if the mind is upon the earth, let it seek to pursue the things that are above. Enlighten your mind with the light of heaven so that you may turn to the light of heaven. A favorite saying from the Gospel of Thomas. If your spiritual guides say to you, look, the divine realm is in the sky, well then, the birds will get there ahead of you. If they say it is in the sea, then the fish will precede you. No divine reality exists inside and all around you. Only when you have come to know your true self will you be fully known, realizing at last that you are a child of the Living One. You are a child of the Living Father. If, however, you never come to know who you truly are, you are a poverty-stricken being, and it is yourself which lies impoverished. A saying of Yeshua. In the Gospel of Thomas, Wisdom of the Twin, a translation by Lynn Bauman. It says in the book of Allegenus, there was within me a stillness of silence, and I heard the blessedness whereby I knew my real self. And I turned to myself, and I saw the light that surrounded me, and the good that was in me. Allegenus is a very spiritual book from Nag Hammadi. And a couple of favorite sayings from the sentences of Sextus the Pythagorean from Nag Hammadi. After God, no one is as free as the wise man. A man who does evil to someone will not be able to worship God. Wisdom leads the soul to the place of God. 
an inclusive rather than exclusive spirituality. Kirpal Singh and the Lesson of Nag Hammadi There are the great world religions, Hinduism, Jainism, Buddhism, Taoism, Zoroastrianism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Sikhism, the Baha'i Faith, Aboriginal, Indigenous, Native American, Sami people, etc. In addition to comparative religion, there is also comparative mysticism, the study of various schools of spirituality or mystics that are, or once were, operating within many of these above-mentioned faith communities, East and West. Viewing religions through this particular lens, one can list many interesting groups. Kabbalah, Gnosticism, which has many categories as well, the Valentinians, Barbellawites, Nasins, Manichaeans, Cathars, Bogomils. Christian mysticism includes Hesychasm, which is Eastern Orthodox mysticism, Syriac and other forms of monasticism, Quietism, the Beguines, the Friends of God movements of Spain and Germany. To name a few in the Christian category. Oh yes, the Brethren of the Free Spirit. Don't want to forget them. In Islam, there are the Sufis, Sufism, numerous lineages of Sufi saints. And of course, in India, the Sant tradition. There are many mystics. And that includes our Gnostics, those who wrote down these texts, these Jewish, Christian, Hermetic, Pythagorean, and other categories of texts, generally given the label Gnostic, meaning a form of mysticism. That is, a, a kind of Eastern version of Christianity and Judaism that is much more focused on contemplative meditation, chant, living a life of solitude and quietude. Almost as if you ask a group of Buddhists to come up with their version of Christianity. Gnosticism is sort of like what they would come up with, one might say. Egypt is a kind of Tibet of the Western world in ancient times, and there are many monks, many living contemplative lives, mystical lives, spending time in caves, living in the desert, creating spiritual communities. And those are the collectors and copyists responsible for these writings known as the Gnostic Gospels or the Nag Hammadi Scriptures. There's an interesting saying of Jesus found in the Greek Gospel of Thomas, a text discovered at another site in Egypt called Oxyrhynchus. And there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. There is nothing buried that will not be raised. In the Gospel of the Egyptians, it says, the great Seth wrote this book. He placed it in the mountain in order that in the end of times and eras, it may come forth and reveal the great invisible eternal spirit. That's a passage from the Gospel of the Egyptians, the God-written holy secret book. That's what it calls itself. 
the Gospel of the Egyptians, which was a Sethian text, a form of or school of Gnosticism known as the Sethians. The great Seth wrote this book, it says, and placed it in the mountain in order that at the end of times and the eras it may come forth and reveal the great invisible eternal spirit. And here we are reading from it. During the month of December 1945, the gospel of the Egyptians was unearthed as well as a complete edition of the Gospel of Thomas. The Greek Gospel of Thomas found at Oxyrhynchus represents only a piece of Thomas, but the whole thing gets unearthed along with 49 other texts during December of 1945, the Nag Hammadi discovery. In December 1945, a collection of ancient scriptures was unearthed near the village of Nag Hammadi in Egypt, these texts had been placed in a clay storage jar, sealed and buried sometime during the latter half of the 4th century AD. Monks who lived at a nearby monastery founded by St. Pacomius most likely hid them there at the time. They would have been sacred texts once part of the library of this monastic community. Rather than confining themselves to reading the Old and New Testaments or exclusively teachings from Orthodox Christian sources, these monks had a surprisingly diverse collection of writings that can only be characterized as interfaith and multi-traditional. In other words, they were also studying the scriptures of other teachers, sages, religions, and cousin esoteric spiritual movements of their day. They were curious. They were students of writings. They collected and copied writings from many sources. They were not close-minded. In other words, they were very open-minded. The papyrus codices of the Nag Hammadi scriptures includes Christian texts, such as the Gospel of Thomas, a collection of the earliest known sayings of Jesus, Dialogue of the Savior, Book of Thomas, the Spiritual Athlete, the Teachings of Sylvanus, the Apocalypse of James, Parts 1 and 2. There are also many examples of mystical or Gnostic Jewish texts, texts perhaps the oldest book in the Nag Hammadi Library is Eugnostus the Blessed, one of many that originate with a sect known as the Sethians who were affiliated with another line of living teachers in a different branch of Gnosticism that, pra that uh, practiced a somewhat Kabbalah-like form of Jewish mysticism in ancient times. Several important Nag Hammadi books are part of the Corpus Hermeticum, sacred texts in the Hermetic tradition of Egypt, an esoteric religious and philosophical mystery school of spirituality based in Egypt, attributed to, these are all writings the Hermetic writings are all attributed to Hermes Trismegistus, or Thrice Great Hermes. These include the Discourse on the Eighth and Ninth Heavens, Asclepius, and the Vegetarian Prayer of Thanksgiving. From the Middle Ages, a number of writings were known to be part of something called the Corpus Hermeticum, 
that had been brought to Europe and translated long ago, but several additional hermetic texts were discovered along with the rest of the Nag Hammadi library during December of 1945, giving us more examples of the hermetic writings. Scholars have noticed that there is a strong influence of Neoplatonism, a philosophy based on the teachings of Plato, present in many of these Nag Hammadi texts or Gnostic Gospels. Both the Corpus Hermeticum and Nag Hammadi Library refer to India on a couple of occasions, and one Nag Hammadi book by the name of Zostrianos mentions the Persian prophet Zoroaster. The books of Nag Hammadi are in the Coptic language and were copied by monks from much earlier Greek manuscripts. Some of these writings seem to originate in Syria, just north of Israel, including the Gospel of Thomas, or a collection of the sayings of Jesus, as well as the Book of Marsans. The Sentences of Sextus is a Pythagorean text, a collection of proverbs popular with many during the early centuries of the Common Era. The Pythagoreans were, as the name suggests, followers of Pythagoras, a sect that had a fascinating combination of mathematics, mystical practices, and beliefs, including reincarnation, transmigration of the soul, and meditating upon the music of the spheres, the harmony of all harmonies. They also adhered to a vegetarian diet. In fact, for most of the last 2,000 years in the Western world, the word vegetarian has been synonymous with Pythagorean. Such was the influence on pagan, Jewish, and Christian traditions by the Pythagoreans. Vegetarians have been referred to as Pythagoreans up until recent times when the word, veg when the word vegetarian finally got coined, got invented, and caught on in popularity. Some of the scriptures of Nag Hammadi are from a moderate, fairly mainstream, Gnostic, Christian, almost Orthodox Christian movement called Valentinianism, founded by St. Valentinus of Alexandria. Some suspect that many of the Pacomian monks had been part of the Valentinian branch of Christianity during those centuries and simply brought their scriptures with them when they joined the monastery near Nag Hammadi. And that's where a lot of these writings came from, and that's why you have a lot of Valentinian writings studied at Nag Hammadi. They were one of the big spiritual movements, contemplative Christian Gnostic spiritual movements during the 4th century. On today's edition of Spiritual Awakening Radio, the Gnostic Gospels of Nag Hammadi. After the break, I conclude my article on the meaning of Nag Hammadi, the lesson we can learn from how these monks collected these writings, and then I want to dive in and explore the spiritual teachings to be found in these various scriptures. What were these Gnostics attempting to achieve? What was the spiritual path? What were the spiritual practices of the Gnostics? You don't really hear that discussed very often on podcasts, radio, or television, or in most of the books on the subject. 
What were these Gnostics up to during the 4th century? What was their spiritual practice? Let's find out. Stay tuned for more Spiritual Awakening Radio after these messages. Gnostic Gospels of Nag Hammadi today on Spiritual Awakening Radio. Another thing that should be mentioned about the Valentinians. They were part of early Christianity. Valentinian Christians would show up to Mass. Sure, they had some other beliefs. They were more contemplative. In addition to the New Testament, they had the Gospel of Truth, Gospel of Thomas and some other writings and teachings, but they were part of early Christianity, including the leadership structure, deacons and bishops, and at one time, Valentinus was considered for Pope. He didn't get chosen, but he was a contender at one point for Pope. Now, people don't think of that as being real anymore because... Valentinians eventually were banished, deemed to be heretics, banished, condemned. Kind of like a falling out we had between Catholicism and Protestantism. You are dead to me. You are banished. We might even be at war (laughs) in some cases, in some countries. Love your enemies. Forgive, except for when we're at war, oddly enough. Forgive your enemies, but except for when we're fighting with some other religious sect, oddly enough, in this bizarre world. And so we think of the Valentinians as this banished, condemned group of heretics, Gnostic heretics, writings condemned, you know, totally rejected. But during the time of the Nag Hammadi Library and during earlier centuries, a longer period of time, then the United States has been a country. Valentinians were part of early Christianity and sometimes showed up at Mass. And that provides an example of why I like history and find it to be kind of spiritual and liberating. Because sometimes the history, or religious history, the sectarian history were given, written by the victors, tends to portray some in favorable light and others in not-so-favorable light, like our Gnostic friends, condemned as heretics. And yet, once upon a time, Valentinus had a shot at being Pope, was considered. Valentinians were part of the leadership structure and went to Mass. So, how it used to be is perhaps not how it is now, but the illusion just falls away when you explore the history and realize that once upon a time, things were different. And we have inherited a kind of slanted history written by the victors. Prejudice against Valentinians. 
sort of like racism in history. You know, some are portrayed in not-so-favorable light. Jesus and the Ebionites are Hebrew Christians. John the Baptist, Seth, Pythagoras, Valentinus, and Hermes Trismegistus. From the point of view of the monks contemplating the words of these Nag Hammadi texts, their interest was not a schizophrenic or contradictory eclectic spirituality. All these writings of Nag Hammadi do have much in common. They share common themes and threads, a universal contemplative wisdom that transcends narrow religious sectarian boundaries, a rich treasure trove of spirituality. The names of the teachers and the schools of spirituality that are attributed to them varied, yet the principles and practices were frequently interchangeable, essentially the same. The tree of Gnosis had many branches. What a fascinating otherworldly meditative and even Eastern version of Christianity these Coptic monks of the desert once had. A faith once entrusted to the saints, as it says in the book of Jude. Egypt was a kind of Tibet of the West, complete with chant. It wasn't Om Mani Padmi Hum, but there are actually many amazing examples of a rather Om-like vowel chant preserved in several Nag Hammadi texts, including the Gospel of the Egyptians. Attempted planetary lobotomy. The codices of Nag Hammadi were buried after Bishop Athanasius condemned the use of so-called non-canonical books in his infamous festal Easter letter of 367 AD. As a new conservative sectarian hardline leadership with its lists of approved and banned books imposed itself upon the monastic communities of Egypt, it is believed that some monks took these now newly forbidden books from the monastic library and hid them away, thus rescuing them from certain destruction and this free-spirited act ending up preserving them for future generations. The collection of the sayings of Jesus known as the Gospel of Thomas, rather than being the victim of censorship and book burning during the later part of the fourth century, now has its own website. The Gospel of Mary Magdalene, another book found in Egypt in a different discovery, illustrating the leadership role of women during the early days of Christianity, instead of being forever wiped from the pages of history, is in the 21st century the subject of great interest by many open-minded spiritual seekers around the world. As it says in the Nag Hammadi book, The Sentences of Sextus, the tyrant will not be able to take away happiness. The loss of the Nag Hammadi Library and the destruction of the Library of Alexandria represent two spectacular examples of planetary lobotomy, or at least attempted planetary lobotomy, the unrestrained wanton destruction of the knowledge of humanity. But at least in the case of Nag Hammadi, a large percentage of the texts have been restored to us. And we can even now read them for free online on the World Wide Web 
in many different languages. After the break, the lesson of Nag Hammadi, and then we'll delve into the spiritual practice of the Gnostics. You're hearing Spiritual Awakening Radio. Stay tuned for more after this break. Today on Spiritual Awakening Radio, the Gnostic Gospels of Nag Hammadi, the lesson of Nag Hammadi. Beware of today's Athanasius types, the archons, the rulers, the powers that be, the hardliners. The spirit of Athanasius lives on in each generation desiring to take away freedoms, seeking to blow up statues of Buddhas and temples devoted to various saints and Sufis, forbidding the study or public recitation of books they don't like, unauthorized texts of various saints and mystics, deliberately making these books go out of print, causing trouble for many seeking souls, ever thinking up new rules and regulations to better control people. The results of the imposition of overreaching rulemaking, control and censorship in spiritual organizations, despite the usual good intentions that are advertised, ultimately paves the way to the loss of knowledge and wisdom, a reduction in the quality of meditation practice, the dumbing down of a tradition. And not only leads to the censorship of one or two books, but it clears the bookshelves of most all the books, and you end up with empty shelves and missing years, missing history, the loss of the knowledge of past generations, the wisdom of the ages. The Pharisees and the scholars have taken the keys of knowledge and have hidden them. They have not entered, nor have they allowed those who want to enter to do so. As for you, be as sly as snakes and as harmless as doves. A saying of Jesus to be found in the Gospel of Thomas, found at Nag Hammadi. Do not lay down any rule beyond what I ordained for you, nor promulgate law like the lawgiver, or else it will dominate you. Another saying attributed to Jesus, this time found in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. The modern-day example of Master Kripal Singh, who was born 1894 and passed on in 1974. The spiritual master from India, Sant Kripal Singh, advised his students to follow a satsang template that included a long reading list of potential scriptures and sources of inspiration or master instruction, saying, quote, For the subject of a talk, we may take up the hymns from any scripture, preferably from the masters, 
of the sound current. It may be supplemented by apt quotations from the parallel writings of other master saints. The Holy Gospels themselves are full of such material as may fit in with such a context. The illustrations from various masters are essential so as to bring out the essential unity in the teachings of all the saints." Unquote. A paragraph from a document of Kripal Singh called Instructions for Holding Satsang. Kripal Singh was a prolific writer, publisher of scores of books over the years, quoting from most every world scripture, most every mystic, poet, philosopher, and great master that has ever existed spanning the centuries very much embodying the same curiosity and inclusive universal spirituality we find present in the Nag Hammadi Library of Egypt. May the legacy of both always be remembered, appreciated, and honored for all time to come. Let's be like those monks of Nag Hammadi and be curious. See the universal threads and you know, have access to a lot of great mystics of various schools of spirituality. The spiritual practice, the experiential dimension. Gnostic literature is filled with descriptions of mystical experiences beyond the simple waking state of consciousness. The Gnostic Gospel tractate known as Zastrianos says, Awaken your divine part to God. Behold death, hear, and seek the immutable ingenerativeness, the father of everything. Unquote. The purpose of withdrawal from the physical body is twofold. One, first of all, it is a means to purify the soul to heighten consciousness of God. As the soul ascends to higher levels, its awareness of God sharpens. In essence, self-knowledge is knowledge of God. And two, it entails the act of dying while living, or dying daily. Step by step, one enacts the actual process of death so that at the time of death, the soul is not lost but knows the path of ascent to the unknown father. The soul, when pulled from the physical body, is said to rise upward, experiencing higher states of consciousness. It is here that visions of light and sound are described. According to the mystics of these traditions, such manifestations are believed to be guides for the wayward soul, leading the soul through various higher states of consciousness. The author of the Gnostic Gospel known as Pistis Sophia, the Book of Faith Wisdom, comments, quote, Man's soul shall become, when it leaveth the body, a great flood of light, so as to traverse all the regions, until it cometh into the kingdom of mystery." Unquote. Contacting this light and sound is said to be transforming. The writer of the treatise Allegenus purports, quote, I turned to myself and I saw light that surrounded me and the good that was in me. 
I became divine. After the break, I want to delve into the teachings of trimorphic proto-Noah and other Gnostic texts and other saints and mystics of the East and describe for you something of the spiritual practice, the goal of the Gnostics of Egypt, to die daily, to experience something of the kingdom of God here and now, during this lifetime, during this opportunity we have while living in the body. We are citizens of two worlds. We are here in this physical body, but as St. Paul or someone in the school of St. Paul once said, now we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. More Spiritual Awakening Radio coming up. Spiritual Awakening Radio, the Gnostic Gospels of Nag Hammadi, Spiritual Practice. I continue reading from The Gnostic Mystery, a connection between ancient and modern mysticism, between the Gnostic mystics of antiquity and living Gnosis now, the Sants of India, the Sant tradition. In the Nag Hammadi book of Trimorphic Proto-Noah, the Gnostic writer, in a very divine-sounding voice, describes how this transformation of the soul takes place. I cast a sound into the ears of those who know me, and I am inviting you into the exalted perfect light. Moreover, as for this light, when you enter it, you will be glorified. You will become gloriously glorious the way you first were when you were light. And I hid myself in everyone and revealed myself within them, and every mind seeking me longed for me. For it is I who gave shape to the cosmos, to the all, when it had no form and I transformed their forms into other forms until the time when a form will be given to the cosmos, the all. It is through me that the voice originated, and it is a word by virtue of a sound. It was sent to illumine those who dwell in darkness. I am the light that illuminates the all. I am the light that rejoices in my brethren for I came down to the world of mortals. Trimorphic Proto-Noah Also, this same Gnostic suggests that the appearance of light within is constructed in a particular pattern as a guide that helps to lift, to uplift the soul through various spiritual realms to the knowledge of God, to the knowledge of the divine. 
saying, I went down to those who were mine from the first, and I reached them and broke the first strands that enslaved them. Then every one of those within me shone, and I prepared a pattern for those ineffable lights that are ineffably within me. The Sant tradition embraces a comparable mystical motif. Only by ascending within himself by his soul can one be united with God, says Tulsi Sahib. Sant Tulsi Sahib of Hathras encourages us to seek not thy beloved in the world outside. Within thine own self behold the splendor of thy beloved. In the pupil of thine eye is a mole, wherein is hidden the entire mystery. Peep within, and behold thou what lieth beyond this dark curtain. The teachings of the Sants are also based on this light and sound. These manifestations, argue the Sants, appear to the soul once it has withdrawn from the physical body. Tulsi Sahib of Hathras describes this spiritual experience. Whose soul is attached to the word revels ever in cosmic flight. In the lamp of the inaccessible, he, the jiva, soul, keeps beholding a flood of light. In the region of the heavens, in the region of the firmament, glitters flashes of light, which the rare brave one beholds, vacate thy body. It is said that the light attracts one's attention while the sound pulls it upward, leading the wayward soul to its primordial home, its true original abode. As with the Gnostic tradition, the light and sound are described in particular patterns in the Sant tradition. Once withdrawal has commenced during meditation practice, the darkness within is said to gradually be illumined with the shifting points of light that eventually cease flickering and develop into a single radiating point. As the soul continues its journey, variations of a beautiful white light and of a melodious sound occur. Describing this inner light and sound exactly or precisely is said to be an impossible task. For says Shiv Dayal Singh, also known as Sant Radha Swami Sahib, or Swami Ji Maharaj, How can I describe the melody when nothing like it is to be found in this world? Unquote. The sound current is not a sound one hears with the physical ears, but only with the inner self, the spirit entity, or soul. Accordingly, this heavenly music that plays intermittently is, in essence, God manifest, and it upholds all of creation. I've been sharing a reading from Andrea Diem Lane's book, The Gnostic Mystery, a connection between ancient and modern mysticism. A great way to delve into spiritual practice, meditation practice of the Gnostics. Then and now, in ancient times and in the living present, 
My name is James Bean. On next week's program, hear part two of the Gnostic Gospels of Nag Hammadi. I'll pick up where I left off today, exploring the spiritual practice of the Gnostics. We'll continue exploring the Gnostic mystery. To comment on today's program, to receive links to free Gnostic books online, I have a Gnostic library, an e-library on the web. Just send me an email at this address and I'll send you a link. My email address is james at spiritualawakeningradio.com. Visit my website, spiritualawakeningradio.com, where you'll find links to podcasts available for free on demand. There's a donate button at the website. There are links to blogs, articles, daily spiritual quotes at Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, and other sites, various articles, including on the Gnostic Gospels. For Spiritual Awakening, I'm James Bean.